This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> We do not know why we are here. We do not know who created the podcast. We do not know why everything other than the podcast is as it is. We do not know when it will be safe to leave the podcast. We only know that day is not this day. Kia ora. Welcome in episode 178 of Half Measured Podcast. I am guessing that if you haven't seen Silo, you're probably wondering what on earth I'm on about. But if you have, settle in for a review later. I will, of course, be reviewing Silo with my co-host, um, someone who also does not know why we are here, but someone who hopefully will pop outside and see if it's safe for us to leave. It's Dan Whiting King. Kia ora, Dan. Kia ora. I've got to be honest, Paul, it's never really safe outside. It's. Um, I think I'd be quite happy with the solo life, but um, I think I would anyway. Would I? Actually, no, I'm going to take that back. I don't know. Solo the way... I think I think you could be right. We've talked about environments that we would not survive in, but maybe this mm, mm. got out for us. Well, maybe we talk about that when we get there. Indeed, indeed, indeed. How is life anyway? You've had a good week? Yes, very good, very productive. Um, I've been chugging along with a few things. Um, so exciting being into the, the last couple of seasons of Doctor Who. I'm going to be up to date with Doctor Who for the first time since 2007 which is incredible um and i'm going to be going into the new season later uh this year watching live with the rest of the world for the first time since 2007 so i'm excited by that i've I've been really sort of motoring on that could you ask your uh, housekeepers in the background to stop rattling their plates around? <laughs> it's, just, it's it's always the way like you know you 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 work in a studio like we do and it's mm. it's a professional setup, and then the staff that we keep on, um, you know, there's a couple of young staff out there who clearly haven't been given the drill about how to how to and when to put dishes away. But I appreciate that they're doing it as as young kids. It's it's good. In the solo, we've all got jobs to do. They're all important, I imagine. Correct, correct. I I wonder because. I don't listen back to the uh, the podcast beyond the first two minutes just to check that we sound okay. I wonder if the rain was coming through hard last week as well. I have no idea. I'm not too sure. I do you know? I occasionally end up listening to them. Normally, when I go on a road trip, um, and Samara will be like, "Let's listen to the pod," and I'm always like, "Ugh, I've already been on the pod. I don't need to listen to it." But <laughs> it is kind of a good like quality control just to see how it all kind of plays out. So every now and again, I listen, but it's not a that's good. It's not a habitual habit. It's like I already know what I said, and I've already changed my mind, or I I already know what Paul said, and I disagree with him the first time. I don't need to hear it a second time. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Well then, let's get into it then. What have you been watching this week, please? Well, I don't have a, a lot for you apart from our, our joint watch. I've been uh, the classic half measure, busy, travelling for work, all those types of things. But I did manage to watch a, a movie on the plane, and it was a bit of a, a last-minute like panic of like quickly went onto Netflix, what's available to download, and just sort of like flicking through, what could I get through on a, a flight there, a flight back. And for some weird reason, I decided to check out uh, a documentary. This is uh, Jake Paul, The Problem Child. I don't know, Paul, do you, do you know much about Jake Paul and, you know, sort of came from, from uh, YouTube, sort of Disney's now mm-hmm. sort of into the whole sort of boxing game. Are you, are you familiar with the Jake yes. Logan Paul brothers? Yes, I know that much, but you've... You've probably, if I was to give my pitch on what I understand, you've probably covered all the main main base points. Yeah, so I guess that's kind of been interesting, right? Because I feel like I wasn't of the I wasn't of the age group where like I I grew up with with YouTube. I kind of have only sort of like learned about the the Paul brothers, uh, I guess through watching YouTube, but never really deep in their sort of their their lore, shall we say. But I've kind of been like weirdly kind of fascinated of this this whole kind of um YouTube transition to boxing. Obviously both Jake and, and Logan are super successful. Uh and it was a to be honest with you a pretty fascinating documentary as someone who doesn't know a lot 
like like I'm not a huge boxing fan. I'm not a I'm definitely not a a Paul Brother fan, but it was really kind of interesting to sort of go on this like relatively short journey, like it's only an hour and ten minutes uh, journey of sort of seeing so I guess Jake Paul's kind of rise to fame when he was sort of you know big star on the Disney Channel, huge YouTube success, kind of achieves anything he kind of sets his mind to, and. As he sort of transitioned into boxing, one of the interesting things about this guy is he's like he is the marketing, he is the promoter, he is the fighter, he's he's all the things. Obviously, he's got a crew around him, but he's able to just kind of really like cut deep and and just tell these sort of amazing stories. And I think the the documentary does quite a good job of sort of demonstrating how he does that. It sort of takes you over sort of the the highlights of his sort of boxing career leads up to both the the highs and lows the wins and the losses but I don't know Paul I I generally found it fascinating it it kind of left me watching this thinking this I I would I would watch a fight I I would I would watch some boxing like it's not it's not my normal go-to but it was really interesting I love how you come out of it you're like I'd watch a fight I love I love that energy it's um it is a fascinating story how you know this unlikely journey uh, that that he's he's gone on. It's the what I find fascinating is just the like someone goes on a journey, but it doesn't mean that it becomes famous. And it's it's that whole it's the success story. It's that that one in a million chance that someone does become famous for those things, and then all the controversies that come with it and, and what have you. I'm not into you know like boxing or any, any of that kind of thing, but. The journey is what fascinates me is how you, how you come from, you know, that prankster mentality online on YouTube to to where you've got now. That is fascinating. One of the really interesting things is they, they're interviewing um, boxers sort of throughout this documentary. And, and it's also very much kind of the, as you would imagine, the old school kind of crowd of like, you don't just like become a boxer overnight. Like you, you, you know, you have to work your way up. You have to have you have to go on this journey of kind of like earning fights, you have to win fights, you have to earn promotions, you have to do all these things. But Jake Paul is like a, he's the modern day take on all of this and just doing it completely different. And the the whole documentary kind of plays out um, just that the industry being like, no, this guy's a joke, to actually people like Mike Tyson, for example, who are like, What's really fascinating about someone like Jake Paul is he puts he puts bums on seats and he mm. gets people in there and he's you know he's selling million dollar um, pay per view you know events like you know when people are sort of paying sixty dollars to, to stream and, and watch this and and he's just he's making bank on it and it's it's absolutely incredible and I think he's sort of got this interesting kind of beef that plays out with Dana White from the UFC and. Dana White sort of in the documentary anyway, very much sort of portrays him as, as, as so sort of old school and so anti sort of uh, Jake Paul. But the other thing the documentary kind of goes into a little bit, I guess, is I guess the really briefly the childhood of like Jake Paul and Logan Paul. And you know, Logan Paul's obviously had his fair share of controversies over the years, but mm. now kind of in not only a huge podcaster with his. He's got his prime energy drink. He's in the WWE. Like he, they're doing it all, and I there's this kind of interesting, I guess, like brotherly competition, frustration, and but love for one another at the same time. And it was just sort of, I think it was interesting to kind of watch this documentary on a different medium through kind of a documentary lens on Netflix, as opposed to kind of the traditional lens that you either get through these guys directly themselves on YouTube or mostly. Because they're kind of they're constantly sort of cast as the villains, um, and they're they're much more they're like you know when you really sort of dig into it, like as I say like the the marketing and the storytelling was really incredible. And as someone who is not really a fan of either of these guys for no reason whatsoever, not really a huge like uh, boxing fan, I, I just generally found it fascinating. Mm. And I see it's very very new like it's only been out for like you know less than well basically a week and as such it hasn't actually had that many views i would say or at least it hasn't had many people sort of come and review or or rate it so i feel like it might be something that will probably get a bit of hype and then catch a wave of you know social media and what have you and become probably one of those ones you see sort of like trending on netflix 
yeah, yeah, that's right. And I, I think it's naturally going to get a bit of hate because of who who uh, Jake Paul is. And yeah. like he is a controversial figure. But I think this gives you a bit more insight into actually like, yes, this is a shit that, you know, like calling them a YouTube boxer is so un- it is, it is unfair because like you can tell through the documentary the amount of work he's put in and the, the effort and the like the, he's, like the brains behind this whole brand is absolutely incredible. Very interesting. So, yeah, that's available on Netflix if you want to check it out. It is very new and also available for Netflix download, which is very helpful on a plane. So um, that is me this week, Paul. What about yourself? It's been a while since I've heard you say I watched this on a plane. It's, yeah, we're, we're, we're so far out of the, the – the, we're now so far post-lockdown COVID that it's becoming more and more likely that you're going to start off by saying, oh, well, I watched this on a plane once again. I, however – have not been on a plane. I have been firmly at home for a wee while now, and I have watched the entire second season of The Lincoln Lawyer. So I brought season one of this to the to the pod um, late last year. Actually, it was it was December. Um, it was a late watch for me in 2022. And season two dropped last month. Uh, it's another. 10 episode season each episode sort of roughly coming in that sort of uh, that one hour max so it is a it is an investment 10 hours um if you've seen the movie the matthew mcconaughey movie you you get the idea if you if you've not you'll you'll pick it up pretty quickly about a a lawyer who practices essentially at the back tanker um and it's it's based on michael connelly's novels who you and i both enjoyed um you know bosch bosch legacy um and this series was brought to tv by david e kelly so you've got a massively talented experienced team here in terms of writers and you know david kelly you know with la law ali mcbill boston legal the practice all the things it's got all the credentials there and i really really enjoyed the first season so i was curious to see where we'd go in the second season it is one of those shows that just looks sleek. It's it it just it it does have a, like a Bosch look. You could almost imagine that these two shows, they're not just because they're based in LA, but these they could be the same universe. Like you could imagine a a crossover somehow between Harry Bosch, um, just you know, sort of walking down a street in LA and just happens to to bump into Mickey Holler. It's the, the the guy who plays Miguel, uh, Manuel Garcia Ruffalo, he, he he is superb. He really captures the style of what you think Mickey Harlow and that Lincoln would be like. He, he's he's got a real swagger. He's got these sharp suits. He's got these great lines. He's just all round enjoyable as the series lead. So as a series lead, that's obviously important. What I will say is I didn't enjoy it as much as season one i would say it's on a par in some respects but it didn't go the extra mile it didn't it didn't necessarily grow um i suppose it, it did grow some of the characters it didn't necessarily bring anything overly new the the, the crime itself that was part of this story which is always central to a legal drama obviously wasn't as interesting the 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 character who was on trial i was probably i was less interested in her trial than i was in in, in season one if you know what i mean but overall still recommend this show for sure it's interesting because while i've been traveling this week watching uh uh jake paul documentaries samara actually started the lincoln lawyer and she watched uh season one in my absence and she's she's actually just right now starting season two and she said to me uh tonight before the pod do you want to just jump in at season two and i was like sacrilege i there's no way <laughs> i can just jump in at season two like it, it's just not the way things are done but um i'd be interested paul like as a uh you know is this the type of show where you could just jump in at season two like i i wouldn't do it to be honest with you but i'm interested if you could you you certainly could, but there are things that you will miss. So for it does, there are things that happen at the end of season one, and I like the way they they take those things, they sort of wrap those things up. They they don't sort of, you know, they don't ignore it. Um, and some of the character dynamics that they go at at length to explain in the first season, it's assumed that you know that 
coming into season two. So I, I mean, I'll be spoiler light on this season, but as a as a generic sort of, he he has two ex wives in this series, and in the first season, you sort of understand what why that is and how that came to be and what's behind that. Whereas in season two, you get none of that, but you've it's assumed that you know. So you would sort of you've missed some of the depth there. But my advice to you actually would be to start with season one because I would say if season one it feels like it's not for you, I would I would dare say you probably wouldn't find season two any anything else from my perspective. It's interesting because I'm just looking at the ratings now and it's rating pretty reasonably. In fact, in some respects, it looks like it's rating higher. So what do I know, Dan? Just a podcaster here watching TV. It's funny because Samara also said the same thing about Bosch um, that – you know, she's like, it feels like I'm watching an episode of Bosch. Like, and she's like, that's why I think like you're really going to like it. So it's it's fun. I know that you sort of mentioned that as well on the the first time you talked about the show. But interesting that she kind of picked it up as well, um, and sort of made those connections. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, really good performances from the from the cast. Um, his 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 legal partner in crime, as it were, Lorna, played by Becky Newton, is given a bit more of a substantive role, which is good. But then Neve Campbell's character is perhaps less prominent this season, so there's a bit of a trade there. Um, Angus Sampson from I always think of him from Fargo. He's good fun. He's got a voice, I swear, so gravelly he could give Nick Nolte a run for his money with his voice. It's uh, really quite something but it's it's just sleek it's just um it's just well put together you know it's got all the these great producers it is well written um some things don't work so for example when when the lincoln lawyer himself finds himself in danger and you wonder oh will he get out of this alive the tension for me is real low you know because the clue is in the title of the show and barring a real bold move from the writers they ain't killing off the <laughs> the lead character in season two it's like you know it's like a, a jack reacher jack ryan luther uh bonjour daryl dixon in france any number of shows based where the you know the characters the title there's no point us getting too concerned in season two that they're going to kill him off if you know what i mean mm-hmm. interesting so uh overall so season one was slightly better season two not too bad but you'll be back for season three i imagine yeah, for sure. And I think to put it into context as well, putting aside police dramas, in terms of US legal dramas, I would still say this is probably my favorite go-to American legal drama that's currently airing, at least, I, I would say. <laughs> I was going to be, there's going to be a Soul Goodman like, yeah. message in here <laughs> No, that's currently airing for sure right now. And, and it is something that I do enjoy. So um, I would, oh yeah, I would definitely be back. Like I say, there was nothing wrong it was just the crime that was committed and the person who was on trial, just those two things didn't interest me as much as the first season. And so straight away, I, I knew within the first sort of two episodes that I knew I was going to struggle with that throughout, and I did, but I still enjoyed all of the dynamics and the, the very clever legal battles that go on along the way. That 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 was all very, very good. So, yeah, I would definitely still recommend this, but definitely... Uh, to your question, definitely jump in at season one for for this one. And this is this is available on Netflix. Very good. Very good. Shall we uh jump into our joint review of the week, uh Apple TV's Silo? Yeah, so this is one I've been looking forward to talking to you because a lot of people talk about this show um and i'm not sure what your experience has been but this is one that's definitely getting a lot of traction with a lot of people and it's getting a lot of people's attention this is a show um so silo is about men and women who live in a giant silo underground and there are several regulations uh which we're led to believe are in place to protect them from what we are told is a toxic and ruined world on the surface and i do feel dan it's worth noting for listeners, our time codes at this point, if you haven't seen the show, I think we're going to have to talk full spoilers to get any sort of real, real deep conversation going here. So if you haven't watched it, honestly, do yourself a favor and jump to movie of the week. Cause I think you, the recommendation for me, just as a spoiler for the end is this is worth watching. So jump ahead. Mm. I, um, I have an interesting, uh, well not, 
maybe it's not interesting. My my thoughts on this one is, is a little bit mixed, actually. I know that the show overall rating very well, uh, but watching the show, I kind of went on this, uh, just for Sado's sake, the, the bit of the, the DJ um, bringing the tempo up and down on the dance floor <laughs> moment where I found the, the first episode or two fascinating. Then I sort of found myself getting like a little bit, not bored, but a little bit like, oh, this isn't, it's not moving as fast as I want it to. And then by the end, I was like back and I was hooked and I'm like, I'm ready for the next season. So even though this is only, you know, a, a, like we're only talking uh, 10 episodes, it it the, that middle chunk for me was a bit of a slog. I, how did you find sort of your overall experience before we jump into the story? No, that's really a really interesting point because I just sort of looked at how it's tracking and, and I think what you've said seems to be in line with a lot of people's opinions. So I think you've picked up on something that I didn't, I did not notice that myself. I, I feel like, um, you know, like you, I, I'd say shows like this instantly get me interested because they're, they're so unique and, and quite novel. And I, I really couldn't point to anything that's been tried. I mean, maybe, you know, we watched that movie, the platform, remember that back in you know, years ago, didn't we watch or, or maybe even Snowpiercer, but Snowpiercer is, different because we've got different classes of people that have been defined and different classes of living. But this is, this appeals to me because everyone's in the silo and we think we're there for our protection. But as it went through, I think I will admit that there were a couple of um, smaller side stories that maybe they went into that were less interesting. And I just wanted to get back to the bigger the biggest story or the main pieces, I guess it's, I would say it's like watching uh, the last Jedi. And when the story goes to Kento bite, you, you, you're not as interested. You just want to come back and stay with Ray and Kylo. It's kind of, so I get, I would say that would be my thing, but I didn't notice uh, a lull, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't terrible. Like it, it wasn't enough to sort of make me think, uh, but it was just sort of, I definitely sort of felt that tempo shift. I think the other thing that I think the show did quite a good, uh, bait and switch kind of number on is particularly that first episode with Rashida Jones and I'm mm. like oh like Rashida Jones she's so great like it's and you know like she really is only that we're in full spoilers now like yeah. you know we get her for such a, a short amount of time in the first season and and I think I was kind of like ah oh, but she was so good but to your point you know talking about the Lincoln lawyer earlier I kind of also like I salute them for that because it's like, you know, you bring in kind of a big star, big actress, and it's like, no, you just, you know, she's going to set it up and then and then you're going to have somebody else. You're going to have Rebecca Ferguson sort of take the helm. And Rebecca Ferguson, I thought, absolutely amazing. Um, but it was just sort of, it was an interesting shift. Yeah. Oh, no, it really was. And you're right. Um, well, you're right on both points. Rebecca Ferguson, I think, is terrific as the lead in this. I would, I would, pointed it as being one of the best things I've seen her do. And I I thought, like you and probably everyone, I thought, you know, Rashida Jones was going to be the lead um, after the first episode. It, and I guess the poster sort of told me, oh, well, maybe she's a side character. But but even so, I, I you know, I, I thought it was great to see. I haven't probably seen her since Parks and Recreation, I would I would dare say. But um, but her character journey was really interesting. And, and it, it does, it really does hook you in and anything that sort of has rules around it with unsatisfying explanations as to why those rules exist or, or just uh, there's so many questions that um, that you have as you sort of go through this this whole first season around what is actually going on here that it's um you just it's it's kind of I guess like lost, you know. You just want to keep on finding out what do those numbers mean? What, what you know, what's going on? You know, it's like there's a mystery there. That's it's not sci-fi per se, but there's something there's something going on. And I think you know, coming into this again, I kind of and I think this is why maybe I felt kind of the low after uh, maybe sort of episodes, you know, three, four, five type thing is. I was kind of expecting like vault raiders or like kind of like a, a walking dead S type <laughs> kind of like people are trying to get in. There's like, you know, you're trying to keep people out. There's, but it, it wasn't that it was very much a, nope, we live in 
in this silo. We don't know too much about it. We know that there's founders. We know that there's different people. Everyone's got important jobs. You, If you want to go anywhere, you've got to walk up a lot of stairs um, or down a lot of <laughs> stairs. Right. It can take days. Um, but it's the whole premise I thought was fascinating. Yeah, there's there's elements of the of I guess the prison scenes in Andor that were similar in mm. terms of the the inmates there not knowing what it was they were doing or building or why. But again, that's where the similarities end. There's just there's something unique here that just really draws you in. Uh, everyone I've spoken to about the show has 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 pretty much loved it across the board, and that I find is. A rare thing these days. People are often very polarized. When you know, when you ask someone, well, my experience when I've asked someone, oh, "Have you seen Silo?" Their their eyes widen, and you hear this, "Yes!" And there's a look of excitement. They're like someone else that they can ask what they think is going on with this this series. So, um, yeah, there's there's a lot in here. Um, a lot of good performances. It's a really weird vibe that you have for. Well, I find that you have for like you know, our main protagonist and and the people inside the silo because you know I feel like they're in there and they shouldn't be, but as the audience, we have no concrete evidence that not even the Lincoln lawyer could get across the line that actually the world outside is not a wasteland and that, that there are you know there aren't any trees anymore breathable air. It's, it's a sanctuary that, that that's what they're telling these people. And every time someone goes outside, you see as to why you'd want to stay inside. And so that's a powerful you know lesson, but then you're sort of like, well, why, if, if the world has ended, why are we not seeing anything about the world? Why are we not learning um, about history? You know, they, they, they don't even know that you can float in water by, by swimming. They've not heard about, what's happened in earth's history there's there's no reason to go outside so why be so secretive and controlling it's a it's a, it's a post-apocalyptic show but we're wondering if it's a lie and it's fascinating right because there's all of the you know like when you put a bunch of people together you've got the conspiracies you've got the believers you've got kind of the you know it's funny that it's kind of set up with so many things that are similar to society, like sort of like governance and uh, police forces and kind of like almost class systems to a degree. Um, and yet, as you say, so many things are just kind of like unknown, misunderstood. There's these, you know, artifacts from the old world are kind of banned, but fascinated. I think the, the show did a great job of, you know, even in the first episode, kind of like showing you the doom and gloom, mm. showing you that that doom and gloom actually might be fake, then kind of like retesting you again to be like, is it? And it's kind of, I think the show kind of play like, I think it did, they did a smart thing in the first um, episode of kind of revealing some things, but then kind of kept you on your toes about like, is it, isn't it, is it, isn't it, for sort of the the next sort of um, 10 episodes. Yeah, they, they really did. And right through to the end, pretty much at least, um, you're sort of, you're not sure because of course we've got that window view and that window tells a story to everyone about what's going on. And then when we see what, the the people that go outside we, we see what they see through their um their Visor. helmet and then mm -hmm. we we discover that virtual reality that's been superimposed and this is why everyone who goes outside turns around to to clean the camera because they want oh they want people to be able to see they need to be able to see what i see it's it's really really effective and and i think another performance worth note tim robbins which I thought was a very different role for him. I thought he brought a really, you know, he's like the, I don't know what his role is now, like the governor or the, the you know, president. The mayor. Yeah. He's, mm. But he's got like a quiet, terrifying, but slightly manic, mm. slightly evil, controlling prison warden vibe to his role. And I thought that was good to watch. But that that's sort of um, intimidating. If you want to go outside, the door's right there. There's No one's being kept in against their will if you say i want to go outside you'll go outside i love that too that like if you say it yeah. like like don't just say it in anger because if you say it you're done like there's no yeah. take backs there's no like just kidding i guess my question is paul is if you said it would you clean <laughs> would i clean i feel like 
it's so easy to to answer this having sort of seen it from a but i've i I feel like i would i wouldn't do what the other people have done and i wouldn't like if i was walking and i started feeling out of breath i'd think oh no i've seen enough people get to this point and then they collapse i'm turning right around at this point and i'm going to figure it out but no i would not clean because the way tim robbins was like everybody cleans that straight away don't talk to me like that sound i'm done i ain't cleaning nothing mm, 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 mm. it's a such a great cast as well and i think this is this really does have sort of all the all the hallmarks and all the sort of touch points of like a, an apple tv show right like it's it's you can tell there's no like no expense um spared on not only the cast but the production quality the the sets it's uh such a a, a wonderful sort of group of people and I kind of feel like it could be one of those shows that would actually be awesome to discover when there's like five seasons out or something and you could just kind of like yeah. binge the whole thing and kind of like go on this big journey because I think it's it's the type of show where there's so many like I think Lost is, is, is a good example there's so many kind of like ways that it could go and I know that this is sort of based on books and so there's, there is probably information out there but it's it feels like you know, it's going to be one that will sort of, you know, maybe bring about, if it sort of gets the, the fandom behind it, you know, huge amounts of sort of speculation and opportunities and where things might go and who's going to happen to this character and who's going to who's going to reappear. What is the silo? Are there others? Um, so many questions. So so many. And and you could see from the end of season one that there's, there's going to be so much more to explore in season two. I really want... And I really believe, I sound like a real cult follower, that someone who's gone outside has survived beyond Rebecca Ferguson's character at the end. I feel like there's there's got to be someone else who's, you know, just like the the special tape on the wrists that's done that. I feel like someone mm. else is somehow out there. I really, yeah, I mean, I dare say that's going to be an angle that's explored in the second season. But the silo itself is is a fascinating, and again, as you said, like, that Apple TV production, just that quality, no expense spared, really comes to bit because it just looks so authentic and the stairs are fascinating design. Well, I think the thing that the, this is, you know, I, IMDb already says, like I said from day one, Rebecca Ferguson's got like, you know, 19, 20 episodes of this, this oh. TV show. So, you know, we, we obviously can expect to see more of her. And I... um I got from the end of that episode, not only are there other silos, but what are the other silos like? Like, yeah. are they all, are they all kind of, are they the same? Are they like, kind of like, like, are they experiments set up with like different conditions? Are they like, you know, is there silos where people come and go from them? Is silo 18 special for some reason? Like what's so many questions? Yeah. Things have got to come together to, to sort of explain that it's, um, I I had the same feeling coming out of Severance season one with the way that finishes and the sort of the questions and there's so much more to explore as I did did with this. That's that's where I put it up there. And uh, the last person I thought of that I just thought is with Ian Glenn as um oh, yeah, as as the father. Um, I just I I just feel like I just don't see him enough, and I always always associate him with Resident Evil and as the as the dude that sort of, you know, first got Alice trapped and, and whatever, and I just felt that he, I don't know how to say this nicely, but he's got a face that I just don't trust, and I don't know if that's because of Resident <laughs> Evil or what. I just So straight away, as a father, I just instantly didn't trust him, and I thought he was very, very good. But the, the, um, the sheriffs and the sheriff's deputies, that whole dynamic and the and the the cast within that sector of the of the show, I thought, was where the real strength of it was. Mm-hmm. Well, he's always uh, draw a moment for me from Game of Thrones, and so oh, equally uh, an an untrusting uh, <laughs> character. And so I, I think he, he maybe he's just got that kind of like that down pat in the in the acting world. Even his IMDb picture with due respect to him looks like he's staring evilly at the camera somehow it's like he's saying oh yeah cast me as yep. the bad guy i'll do a good job yeah no he it, it's kind of that slight kind of like head back eyes kind of beady it's um <laughs> yeah thanks ian glenn we really, appreciated your performance yeah yeah we're, we're really taking we we love your work by the way but um you, you do have that lockdown bad 
and no, I think this is a this is a good show. I think you know when people are looking for good things to watch on Apple, this is good. I think season one does a good job of, I think, giving you enough answers to make you feel satisfied, but leaving you with a lot of questions and wanting more. And I think I was kind of a bit worried that I was like, please don't just leave us with all these unanswered questions. It's gonna it's gonna be hard. But I think that they they did a, a not too bad a job, kind of giving us something to kind of hold on to. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And didn't give us too much, but gave us a few answers which we needed and at the same time raised new questions in the in the last few moments, which which is real good. So um so yeah, so this one, um, full recommendation from me, Apple TV Plus, and I know that we have a couple of listeners and they know who they are who's listening, who refuse to give Apple a single dollar well, there is the free trial that you can go out there and you could easily binge this in the seven-day free trial. And I'll tell you what, you, you would not regret it. You've got to give it a go. Just give it the trial. I think there's a, there's definitely enough stuff on there if you had like a long weekend and you were looking like this weekend here in New Zealand, like we've got cold weather, it's snowing around the, in yeah, various places. Perfect weekend to kind of uh, like binge shows like this or see or um, – what else will be watching Apple TV, Paul? Um, for all mankind. For all mankind. Lasso, oh, yeah. So many horses. There's, there's, oh, there's a lot of really top quality. I think I've only come across one show, which the name escapes me right now, but so far they've all been hit. So, oh, Extrapolations. That was a dodgy one for me. But the rest, oh, yeah. the rest have been top draw. Even when they're dodgy, though, they're still filmed to a high quality. That's the thing. So, like it's, it's still sharp, so it's um, yeah. interesting times. Must be a movie. Oh wait, uh, oh no, no, we're not going to guns. We're not going to guns and that. Um, should we jump into our movie of the week? Indeed. So Dan and I take it in turns each week to uh, choose a movie. We announce what that movie will be in our Discord community channel, which you can join by clicking on the links in your podcast show notes, um, and then watch along with us because we announce that a week in advance, so that you can listen to this well-informed well-considered review and this week then we are reviewing the woman king we are indeed so this is a historical epic inspired by the true events that took place in the kingdom of dahomey one of the most powerful states in africa in the 18th and 19th centuries so this is uh, a movie that stars uh, viola davies who uh, you may remember from the suicide squad um, but this is a a movie I didn't really know a lot about, but I've sort of I've seen the the tile pop up on a couple of different streaming services, um, and it kind of just caught my eye because it was it was so kind of like bold and orange, and it just every time I was like, oh, I'm I'm, I'm intrigued to check this out. So I'm glad that we we got to check this one out for a movie of the week. And it was a real kind of random choice, to be honest, because sort of going into it, I wasn't a hundred percent sure what to expect. Mm. Um, but the, I guess the the key sort of plot here is we've got this um, group of African women who are basically the 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 king's guard, and they're they're highly trained warriors. Um, there's a, a bunch of kind of tribal warfare going on. You've got uh, slavery kind of mm. happening around Africa. And this this group of women, it's, it's sort of the story of, of these women and um, a couple of uh, their recruits and the kind of the journey that they go on. And it's a movie that, this is, this is going to be really insensitive, it's like the real life version of Black Panther for me. Like I kind of, I had like a real kind of Wakanda forever type vibe in the sense that like you've got these these amazing warriors, amazing fighters, yep. like these beautiful kind of traditions, beautiful colors, amazing kingdom, um, but but in real life and 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 I I had it surprisingly I loved it. I had a really good time. How did you find this one, Paul? Yeah, this is a very um a very powerful watch you know it's um there's a lot in here that um whenever it's a true story i'm always always fascinated to come into it and i think some of the things that stuck with me were you know, some of the most horrible uh, scenes like you know that that real sort of appropriation colonization abuse of power vibes uh, those sort of scenes were really really 
in, incredible in terms of how they're done. But you know, Viola Davis for me was just astonishing. Like for me, she's she's Annalise Keating from you know How to Get Away with Murder. For me, ninety episodes of her in that—that's who she'll always be. I think for me, and I just think her intensity, her stare, her delivery of the dialogue is she's a genuine powerhouse and, and there's there's other casts that w- we should talk about as well but overall i think this is a very very powerful movie it's a very um slow movie and i'm going to dive straight into my one criticism of this movie then i found it too slow and what's interesting about that is i can't tell if the movie was too long because if it had made a, a good pace like some of the scenes had a good pace Maybe the runtime would be spot on, but there were many chunks where I was like, why are we lingering here? And and so that presents a, a bit of a, a problem for me on the, do I recommend this question? Because you were talking before about the weather in New Zealand and, you know, rainy. This is a rainy Sunday afternoon movie for me or, or a movie where you can really immerse yourself and experience this. This is not a Friday night, Saturday night movie for me. That's not to say that Friday, Saturday night movies need to be popcorn, action and all that, but this feels like a day movie. And that's not a criticism. It's just about the frame of mind and the energy levels and so on that I think suit this type of movie because there's a, there's a lot to appreciate here. It's, um, I, I think... I think it could be a little bit long. And I think, um, you know, I think you and I kind of like, if you're going to have a movie that's plus two hours, then you've got to really have everything kind of like pretty tightly unlocked. And I think what I found interesting about this this movie is I think it's it actually starts like quite quite fast paced. And it, and it kind of, uh, the end sort of the last third of the movie is, is also kind of like, you know, big battles, um, big set pieces. Some of those bits felt rushed where some of the bits in the middle were kind of all, we were really kind of like drawn out. But I think a bit like you, I don't, I don't really know where I would make those cuts is the problem because it's, it's, it's kind of contextually important story, but I think it just, the pace kind of feels a bit up and down again. Um, Overall, I was I was surprised because I think you know when I started watching, I was like, oh wow, this is all kind of like action packed, and I, I wasn't kind of expecting it. And then it kind of gets deeper into the story, and and I kind of enjoyed the the story of kind of the, the young apprentice coming on board, and, yes, and kind of like learning about that kind of backstory. I didn't overly, maybe I didn't care so much for the that that's the wrong word to use. Didn't care so much. I I you could have almost not had the. Maybe some of the this. Well, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. It's based on a true story. Yeah, what do you cut? I don't know. It's that's the thing. And I, I don't know if it was cut. I think there's just a couple of things just to speed up. But that's that, that's my only real thing here because there's there's so much like John Boyega. I really enjoyed. For me, this is quite possibly his best performance to date, and he had some great monologues addressing the gathered crowds, particularly when he crowns um, Viola's character. You know. Again, spoilers, presuming if you're listening, you've seen it. Um, but some absolutely, when the pace really got going, some incredible scenes, like some brilliant parkour and use of body weight and momentum in some of the, the high-stress chase and escape scenes and the fight scenes. So with the with the African people there not having the, the, the guns and the weaponry, like the, the conquering armies, as it were, coming in, that obviously leaves them at a disadvantage, but then the hand-to-hand, those skills are so much more finely tuned and they they are dominant. And I really felt some of the cuts that, you know, with these knives and these nails and things, like for some reason, the ones where they were cutting the, the, the they were cutting the men just above the back of the hill, that, mm-hmm. that just goes right through me every time. Even more, you know, someone being stabbed through the heart that doesn't seem to get me as much as the back of the hill. It's um, I, there is something very brutal about kind of like machete type of, type of fighting, mm. and I felt yeah, I think I'm with you. The being taken down by Achilles never a good time. I also feel like this movie really goes to town on on like cutting people through the shoulder blade, yeah. like, but kind of into the chest. Like there's a lot, and I guess that makes sense. Like. 
haven't really thought too much about like you know how how you fight with swords and things and this is a lightsaber um but like it's really like so i guess it makes sense because you're going for that sort of between the sort of shoulder blade and ah, oh, it's 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 very brutal and i think i think that does make this movie i think as you say like a a difficult one of who you would maybe recommend it to like like as i say i i had a great time but i don't know if someone said oh, have you watched a good movie lately I would really have to know the type of person, what's the context they're watching the movie in, is, are you watching it with family and friends, is it a Sunday afternoon, Like, what are you looking for? Because I think it was good, but it's it's kind of a situational movie. Yeah, no, fair call. And I, I, I think the, the the time of day and the frame of mind are the things. And we, we've had this conversation before, and I can't remember the name of this one, but it was, was oh, The Nightingale. Is that the... The, oh yeah, yeah you know that, cool. that was you know and again mm. really strong movie but again depends on the situation of, of who you're watching it then but i found so much of it um fascinating to learn because of course you know i've talked before about how i learned through movies which is probably a terrible terrible idea but those scenes i was talking about at the start you know that the the abuse of power the the physical inspection scenes where where you know like a, a human being was being assessed from a an investment perspective where a body was being looked at in the same way someone would a, a commercial product or or someone who sells animals might look at livestock for breeding or, or for fighting those, those scenes really tell the story and are very hard to watch and then it's coupled with those intense scenes around the the fighting and there was i forget what the line was exactly but it was like you don't need a gun to be able to use gunpowder and then they set up that whole thing where they, you know that they, they they lit i don't know what it was then but like obviously something equivalent to uh gasoline you know, that were just going along and they went straight into the middle of their camp and blew things up with these long fuses that were absolutely ingenious Mm-mm. it's um it, yeah it was ingenious and i think it was um like it just it was one of those also one of those films too where sometimes it was a bit frustrating where like in that big fight scene you're referring to um where kind of like they aren't keeping track of the main characters and you know that main characters are going to get kind of like caught up in other hijinks yeah. and it's like oh like you kind of have that that moment of frustration yeah. What I also found fascinating, and I only spotted it in the end credits, was um, it was written by um, Maria Bello, who we most recently saw in The Beef, um, and perhaps is most more famous for a history of violence. But she's the writer of this as well. So that was mm-hmm. amazing. Um, yeah. I mean, she's really put together something really strong. Um, Lashana Lynch, who we probably most remember from uh, No Time to Die as the, as, well, I don't know if it's too early. Is it, we can talk about spoilers for that movie now. Yeah, as as the 007 agent that came in, um, she mm. she was very very strong in this as well. It was overall just across the board, real strong performances, real intense, a lot of um, hard to watch scenes. Um, but yeah, it's a a situational one in terms of whether you're going to sit down to watch it. I think. Yeah, like I, I still like I had a very good time. Um, you know, and I equally, you know, sometimes we say like this could actually be a this could have been a eight part series, right? And they probably could have done like sort of different sort of takes on it. You know, you probably could have told a several season show, but I I think it was a good movie. Like I think for me, I'd probably Guns Akimbo. I'd I'd probably give it a a solid three. I could have probably even stretched to a three and a half. I'll go three. I'll go three as well. Yeah, it's um three? It's re- okay. really well put together, really well directed. It doesn't seem to be rating. As highly, and I, I'm, I would be fascinated to dive into what the reasons are around that, and whether it's around the pace, whether it's um, around the length. I, I'd be interested to find out more about that. Mm-hmm. Well, that is a movie that you can currently watch on Neon here in New Zealand. That is the Woman King. Uh, Dan, pick of the week for you. Hmm. I think. What am I going to go for this week? I think it's got to be Silo. It's uh, it's unique. It's different. It surprised me at several points. It took me on a journey. It it had all the things. How about you? Yeah, no, definitely. That's a for me is it's one of those ones that, as I say, I just could not wait to talk about it and want to explore more. And 
I would say here we are in early August. I would say this is a, this is a contender for me, Dan. You you may hear me talk about this in December at this point. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, I, as we said last week, Paul, there it's uh, it's getting thinner and thinner as we head towards the end mm. of the year. So there may be some opportunities uh, for for shows. Yeah, no, I think it's a it's a good call. Shall I uh, take us over to the news desk? Let's go there. So once again, uh, not a lot happening. I think all of these uh, strikes are not doing us any favours for news. But first of all, uh, a couple of sad passings. So Mark Maragolis, who you and I both um, have come to love, particularly as as Hector Salamanca mm. on Breaking Bad, has unfortunately passed away at the age of 83. Uh, also, William Fredkin, who was the director of The Exorcist and The French Connection, um, also passed away at age 87. Yeah, really, really. Our condolences. Yeah, really sad. And on, on Matt Magolis, we will have the opportunity to see him in his final performance in, in the second season of Your Honour. Um, but as you said, Hector Salamanca, he just, he, for me, that's career-defining for me. Uh, just an extraordinary actor who brought together that character, a, a character that could not speak, could not walk, and he did it all with his eyes, his breathing, and of course the the, the little bell he had there on his finger. It's just a, a, a great character way to to do it. All I'm thinking about right now is that bell, and I'm like, I feel like I want to ring the bell, you know, as a yeah. as a sign of respect. Try it at work. See how you get on with Indeed. it. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, Emily Blunt has recently said that she would be ready for an Edge of Tomorrow sequel. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. So, didn't wasn't there something like repeat something? There was a live die repeat. Live die repeat wasn't. Mm. As the tagline, or I thought that was actually the sequel that was in the works. Or am I just dreaming? I don't know. Here? I don't know. Well, apparently, the so this is a, a recent um, from a recent interview with Emily Blunt, where talked about basically there she has seen a sequel uh, of the. Um, that's sort of been drafted. I don't know if it's quite the one. And it's more probably around the, the the timing and getting the script right. And obviously with all of the writer strikes and um, actor strikes currently underway, it's probably nowhere near having anything done with it. But interesting that, that there could be a potential for another. It's actually a movie I feel like I could rewatch. actually. Yeah, it's definitely, been a, definitely. It's been a little while. Uh, and then just the, this is – I'm really scraping the barrel, Paul. Um, on the 6th of September – uh, the Little Mermaid live-action remake will be making its way to Disney+. Plus. And uh, I Am Groot um, is returning for a second season on Disney+, Plus this September, also on September 6th. And that is all I have for you this week. Very good, Dan. Um, only one extra that I have to throw in, and that is that Clint Eastwood is back directing again and in front of camera again. He's directing and starring in... Uh, an upcoming movie, Jura number two. And there are a couple of photos from the set and I can't work out if he's one of the jurors or if he's on trial, but at age 93, fair play. That's commitment, Paul. That's commitment. It really is. It really is. Um, We'll hop on over to Mailbag. Firstly, uh, we got a a DM thanking us uh, from... Edwin Lee Gibson from The Bear, who plays uh, Chef Abraham, and also uh, Liza Collins-Zayas, who plays uh, Chef Tina, um, shared our review to her followers. We didn't manage to get five chefs sharing our review like we did, you may recall, with season one. We had five of those chefs in the kitchen sharing the review, which was in- insane, really. But I, like you, Dan, I put a lot of this down to the strikes because a lot of, you know, actors, actresses, writers, and so on, under strict orders not to be promoting or interviewing and all the rest. So the last thing we can probably expect is our reviews to get too much attention, which is always a shame because it's always great when we have listens and comments from people from our favorite shows. Um, And so, yes, so that is really all I have other than our peak performance, which, of course, was Pedro Pascal last week. And we have Richard from the North Shore uh, in Auckland uh, went with The Last of Us. Shannon from Wellington uh, went with The Mandalorian. Uh, Diana from the Capri Coast went with Narcos. Uh, Michael from North Carolina gave us two honorable mentions. 
Last of Us and Buffy the Vampire Slayer and peak performance for him was Narcos as well. And Paddy from Time Traveling Tink Podcast went with a 3-2-1 of Mandalorian, The Last of Us, and like you, Dan, peak performance was Game of Thrones. That is the mailbag this week, nice and quick. Very nice. Shall I whip us into our peak performance for this week? So much like our movie of the week, uh, Paul and I take turns choosing different actors, actresses, directors, producers, uh, and we choose what we think is their peak performance. This week, Paul has nominated Mr. Sean Penn. What have you got for me, Paul? Mm, so I saw something about him and I thought, oh, wow, I haven't seen him in ages. We haven't done a peak performance on him because for me, Sean Penn is hes just, I mean, he's obviously controversial in many of but he's very intense very serious very um very big presence on screen you know what i mean kind of actor and i've seen a fair bit of his stuff but i didn't realize <laughs> until i started having a look through his back catalog that i haven't actually seen much of his recent stuff in fact so few things that he's done i've even heard of in the last decade or so which is i think i saw him on kirby enthusiasm um in an episode and uh i saw him in a paul mccartney music video but that's about it which is really weird but i i don't disappoint i do have two choices here honorable mention for me is 1998's the thin red line um which this is this i went to the cinema to see this movie back in 1998 and i would say even in my you know in my 20s i would say this is the first time i could recall watching a movie that when oh, I was in the cinema for like three hours, and I remember thinking at the time it dragged on, but I rewatched it again as an older, wiser Paul Canera, and I really appreciated it a lot, lot more. And I have a huge empathy towards sort of like some of the, you know, the things in that movie, the cowardice on the battlefield, and and, and all that sort of stuff. And Sean Penn in this is really quite memorable and and very, very strong. He, he, even in amongst the likes of you know Nick Nolte and. Uh, George Clooney, Woody Harrelson, and, and so on. He is the one who I think of the most from the two viewings I've had of this movie, and I think he get, I think he gives a very measured and calm and relatable performance. So that's that's definitely my honourable mention. But the the peak performance, which I knew was going to be coming in, was as uh, as Jimmy Markham in 2003's Mystic River, which is a terrific movie and is now 20 years old, and I don't know how that happened it's insane but he's cast perfectly for for this kind of character someone who in the in the course of this movie loses so much and is it's really emotionally charged and he's because he's a sort of like a you know we were talking about ian glamour but someone that you look at you're not quite sure how he's going to react in any situation he really comes across in a, a very charged performance and you know he got the best actor for this one tim robbins got the best supporting actor opposite him in this movie is one of Clint Eastwood's better directing efforts I, I would say for my money so for me Sean Penn's peak performance would be Mystic River what about you very interesting Paul very interesting because I I kind of had a similar experience I thought well, like when you said to me Sean Penn I'm like ah oh, Sean Penn thousands of movies this is going to be an easy pick and I was going through his IMDb list and I was like I just feel like I was just like I like I know who you are and I know you're in so many things and I've seen a lot of these movies but a lot of them I haven't seen for a very long time yeah. and it made me kind of like really question like what are my what is my honorable mention what is my peak performance and what is quite funny about this is we've actually picked the same movies just in the in the different order Brilliant. and so so I picked uh, Mystic River um, for my honourable mention and The Thin Red Line for my peak performance and I actually once again, similar experience because I remember going to see The Thin Red Line and it was right at kind of the time that Saving Private Ryan came out, I think the year before, or around the same time actually, and I sort of came into The the Thin Red Line, actually because they're both 98s, wanting that same level of kind of like action and Spielbergness and The Thin Red Line gave me none of that, but it had such a star-studded cast mm -hmm. and it wasn't until I was much older and wiser that I kind of sat down and could appreciate that movie for exactly what it is. Um, so that's where it sort of gets my my peak performance. Totally in sync there, you and I, for the same sort of rewatch when we're older and wiser as well. How funny. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Funny times. 
Well, I guess that uh, brings us to another end of an episode of the Half Measures Podcast. It does indeed. Thanks, as always, for listening in. Do get in contact with us on our website, halfmeasurespodcast.com, or on any of our social media with any comments, thoughts, or suggestions for us. And do feel free to, as I said before, join our Discord community. Also, a very special shout-out to our Patreon producers, Samara Whiting-King, Diana Kanawa, Trisha Brady, and Michael Chalmers. And before I go this week, there's a there's a feature, if you listen to this podcast, on uh, Spotify, where each week you can put a poll on a podcast. Oh. And so if you listen to this through through Spotify, please do go and check out the, the poll this week. I'd be very interested in your thoughts. You have to go and check it out to, to see that. If, if we get enough results, I'll... I'll share it back next week. Even I'm tempted to listen to it on Spotify and go on there myself. I don't even know what you're going to ask. I'm fascinated. You're going to have to. Um, While you're there, make sure you leave us a a review. That would be highly appreciated. But until next week, everyone, adios.